pray as we get started. It's great to see everybody on a very hot... <laughs> so we knew this was coming, right? Yeah, yeah, we knew. A couple weeks ago we had those cool days, but I was like, eh, get ready, it's coming. Good evening, gentlemen. I did, I was stalling. I was stalling for you. Hey, Max, how you doing, sir? Good to see you. All right, well, let's pray as we get started. It's great to see everybody, and uh, let's just dive right in. We're going to talk about faith tonight, mountain-moving faith. Anybody have any mountains that need to be moved? Yes. Well, good. You're in the right place. This is going to be good for you tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Your words are life to us. They're health to our bones, as Scripture says. They're health to our flesh. And so, Lord, we immerse ourselves into, into your word, and we ask this, Father, that even as we do, you would immerse your word into us. May we become people of the book, people of the word. May we become believing believers, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray tonight for all of us, including me. I'm here to learn too. This isn't just about me teaching. I'm here to learn. I'm here to listen to your voice, listen to your spirit. And I want to be taught as well. I posture myself not only as a teacher, but as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. I believe you have something for me tonight as well as all of us here tonight. So, Father, we're here before you as sons and daughters, and we're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to be expanded. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us the measure of faith, but then you also allow us the privilege of expanding our capacity. We're in a very real sense. We become larger on the inside than we are on the outside. And so tonight, as we study your word, I ask, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Be our guide. Lead us and guide us into truth, Lord. That's our heart. Into all truth tonight. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your grace and your anointing upon the word that goes forth tonight. That, Lord, we would find life in it. We'd find hope in it. And we would find answers and solutions, even as your word says, we've been given these hidden treasures in Christ of knowledge and wisdom. So we lean into those hidden treasures. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I hope you came prepared tonight. I, I, this is one of my favorite topics. A number of years ago, I was impacted... Okay, let me back up. When I came to know Jesus, I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and a Church of Christ. I didn't know the difference. I didn't know what a Pentecostal was or a Charismatic or a... Uh, I didn't know anything. I, didn't, I just thought, oh, Christian church, they're Christians, right? Who knew, right? So here I am at 17, 18, 19 years of age and not knowing any difference. The beauty of that, let me tell you the beauty of it, is that I didn't come to Christ with any filters, I didn't have any preconceptions. No one had ever said, hey, don't listen to that one. Or, or that one's dangerous. Or stay away from that one. That all came after I got saved and got in church. And then I was being told all that. I'm not even lying. And so, um, so as a brand new follower of Jesus, the summer after my high school year, I worked for my dad. My dad was a firefighter, but he also owned a chain link fence company. And I did all of his welding. I did wire welding. So it was great because I had eight hours a day uninterrupted time. And I would listen to this Christian radio station in Lubbock called KJAK, Keeping Jesus as King. Isn't that great? And it, and it was mostly talk radio back then. So I would listen to John MacArthur. 
I would listen to J. Vernon McGee. I would listen to Chuck Swindoll. I would listen to this wild guy named Kenneth Copeland. I would listen. And here's the beauty about this. I did not know the difference between any of them. I was so hungry for the Word of God and so hungry for teaching. I would immerse myself into six, seven hours of teaching a day. All that summer and into that next year. And it was a growth period for me. It was, and, and what I love about it, and looking back on it, this sounds kind of sad, and, and I mean this in the right way. This, I hope this comes off right. I was kind of glad I wasn't raised in church. Uh, I know that sounds terrible, but I've seen so much damage in believers' lives who love God and they, they want to follow him, but they've been so taught doctrinal inconsistencies and error that, that they have a difficult time living above the line, so to speak. And they're the ones that I always ask that question, how's it working for you? And they have to say, it's not, but I love Jesus. And so, because I didn't have any of those preconceptions or those filters, I came to listen to all these different Bible teachers, and I just enjoyed them all. And I thought, this is amazing. This one has this focus, and this one has this focus. I could tell a difference in their style and whatnot, but I loved it all because they were teaching the Bible. And I was so hungry. And I had a Bible that I kept in the shop, and it was so hot. You know, Lubbock Summers, you know, it's 108 degrees, 107, but it's a dry heat, they say up there, right? Whatever. When it's 100 degrees, it's just hot. I don't care if it's dry or humid. But it was hot, but that Bible sat in the shop all day long, and when I'd get a break or between, I would go look up a scripture. Depending on who was teaching, I'd go, I'd go find that scripture, and it taught me how to use the Bible. And, and I, didn't, I didn't have this. You know, I literally would just go and tear that thing apart. By the end of that summer, the, the, the heat from the summer had completely drawn the leather up in that Bible. I mean, it was just lay open, and you couldn't even close it anymore because the leather had just heated so much. And you know what? That Bible was precious to me because that was where I just began to learn and grow and hear God. And so that was a special time in my life. Well, one of the guys that I enjoyed the most, again, didn't know any different, was Kenneth Copeland. There was something about his confidence, something about his passion. And he constantly quoted the scripture and constantly talked about the word of faith and talked about the power of your belief and the power of the tongue and the power of your confession. And listen, I, I didn't know he was a part of the word of faith movement. And I didn't know John MacArthur was a conservative. And I didn't know J. Vernon McGee, you know, was, was a conservative. I just didn't know and honestly didn't care. Because when you're hungry for the Bible and you're hungry for the word of God, all those filters just come off, and you're just like, somebody teach me. Somebody open the book. Somebody just read it. And so that was a very formative first, few, first year for me as a new believer, and I fell in love with the Bible. And so Kenneth Copeland had an impact on me early on, as did Chuck Swindoll, John MacArthur, all of them. J. Vernon McGee, through the Bible. I mean, I was just going right through it with everybody else. I didn't even know the guy was passed away. I just loved him. They were playing recordings of him. Charles Prince, all these different people. And I was impacted by them all. 
And so one of the things that I got out of Kenneth Copeland was just a love for the Bible, a love for the Word of God, and, and a high esteem for the Word of God. And then in my Baptist background, my Baptist roots, again, a high esteem for the Word of God, a, a great love for missions and evangelism and discipleship. And so everything that we've been a part of on my journey, and I'm sure yours is much the same, has had an input into my life and into the fabric of who I am today. So I, I'm very much like a, a Toyota Prius. I'm a hybrid, if there's ever been a hybrid. I am a hybrid believer. It means I, I run on gas, I can run on battery power, I can run on sun power, I can coast down a hill. Whatever, I don't care what's powering it, I just want him. And I just want more. And so at this point in my life, now I define myself, just as I read that quote by Brendan Manning, define yourself as one radically loved by God. I don't have to say I'm Pentecostal, charismatic, Baptocostal, Pentabaptist. I don't care. You know, we make up all these silly names trying to capture something. But at the end of the day, we're children of God. We're his beloved. Amen? Amen. And so I want to define myself as one who's radically loved by God. And that should be enough. Amen? Everybody wants to know, you know, what's your bent? What's your stream? What's your... And I'm like, yeah, I like it all. And you know what? There's value in each stream. And here's why. Nobody has a corner on the market of the kingdom. And I think that is by design, don't you? I think just as God had to confuse those folks who were building the Tower of Babel, I think he's probably confused us a little bit because we'll do the same thing. Don't you know? And so any time I hear a denomination say, we've got it, we're the corner on the market, I'm like, run like Forrest Gump. <laughs> right? I, I, no, I if you think you're exclusive, then I've got a problem with you. Because that means you think you know all and that you've got it figured out. I, I won't fellowship with that. I, that's not a place I'll go. And so as we dive in, I want to start with a couple of things. This is in chapter 9 if you have your book. I apologize for my voice tonight. I'm recovering from a, from a serious sinus infection. It had me down for the count yesterday. So I want to read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It's not even on the screen, Russ. I'm just going to read it out of, out of off my phone, my phone Bible. Listen to this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 had a massive impact on my life as a new follower of Jesus. And to this day, when I read through it, it just blows me up. And we'll look at Hebrews 11 1 in just a minute. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, here's the deal. Because I've been made to be the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, I'm not out trying to please God. He's pleased with me because of what Jesus has done for me and in me. He's already pleased. So there's nothing I have to work for or earn. But because I love him, I want to please him. Does that make sense? I don't think I have to please him to, to get anything. But I want to because I love him, not because I'm afraid of him. So there's a lot of folks that are driven by fear... In fact, I heard about Joshua Harris. If y'all, he wrote the book "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." He's saying now that he's stepped away from from his faith, at least from evangelicalism. He still says he believes in something, but but he stepped away. He was a pastor of evangelical church for many years. One of my dear friends, uh, Larry Tomzak, actually started the church and planted the church that Joshua was pastoring for many years, and Joshua's walked away from all of that, and uh, and that breaks my heart, but because I'm like. I'm, I'm not in this for evangelicalism. 
I'm not in this for a denomination. I'm in this for Jesus. And my, my thing is this, is if, if the word of God leads me to Christ, then that's what I'm going to stand on. That's my anchor. That's my hope. And so my heart goes out for what's going, what he's going through and going on right now. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the beauty of it is, is that with faith, we do please him. He's pleased. And how did you come to Christ? By grace through what? By grace through faith. So grace and faith are working together to bring you to Jesus. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. I love that. It's just a simple statement. What do we believe? I believe that he is. What did he call himself? I am. He says I am. We say you are. <laughs> he just is. I love that. I love that in the scripture. It says this. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it's not like we're pursuing rewards. It's just when we seek him, we get rewarded. It's a beautiful thing. That's called a win-win deal in the world. When you seek his face, he loves you so much, he meets you there. Remember James 4, 8? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, right? Isn't that beautiful? Yes, sir. Let's just connect the dots with something you said months ago. Talk about not a program or an outline, or a formula. It, it has forced me to be more attentive. There you go. Diligently seeking, because I'm not jumping ahead thinking it's a formula or an outline or something. <laughs> the next step is revealed, not the whole thing. Mm, yes. Great. Great. And you know, I, I love the scripture. It says, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It does not say it's a halogen beam that shows eight miles down the road. You don't, you don't know what's coming. It's, it lights your path as you go. His scripture, that's what the word of God does. And it's interesting because when I first started reading the Bible as a brand new Christian, I was 19 years old trying to figure it out. And I was going, this is foreign territory. Because I was reading the King James Version, Elizabethan English. I was like having a hard time with that. And a friend of mine showed me a New American Standard Bible. And that, that... I grabbed hold of, and that really helped me. And somebody bought me a Ryrie Study Bible. Remember those? <laughs> Had a Ryrie Study Bible. I still got that Bible. Yeah, I just tore that thing apart. The hardcover is about this big. It was like a, a weapon of mass destruction. I just <laughs> tore that thing apart and, and immersed myself in the study of the Word. And life happened. And as I studied the Scripture, he ordered my steps. I knew what to do next. And it's interesting because people come for counsel. I just want to know what to do next. I'll say, let's get in the word together. I think he'll show you. Because his word is a lamp. His word is a light. And so let's take him seriously at his word. Don't relegate the Bible to some history book or obscure writing you know, that, that's, that was for people back then. The, the Word of God even says of its own self, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm telling you, when you get in it and it gets in you, it will light you up and it will light the path. It's that powerful. Amen? So, I'm going to go straight to, uh, right, right where it starts, Russ. That would be slide number five. There we go. Uh, yeah, keep going. A couple more. So now faith, let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Hebrews 11.1, 1. now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. I just want to get that out there. The Bible itself defines, i tell you the best preaching in the world is let the Bible preach the Bible. Let the Bible define itself. It says, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or the proof 
of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. And then in Genesis 15, then he brought him outside. And this is God brings uh, Abraham, or Abram, before his name was changed. He brings Abram outside and he says this, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And look what, look what Abram did. So he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The fact that Abraham himself also came by faith. And we'll see in Hebrews all chapter 11, it'll talk about by faith, by faith, by faith. And we call it the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. So as we get started, Hebrews 11 paints an extraordinary... This is the next slide, Russ. Hebrews 11 paints an extraordinary picture of faith, telling story after story of men and women who put their faith in God and demonstrated their faith by obeying Him, often at great cost to themselves. Now, let's go to the next one. Number one, if you're looking at your book, your purple book, this is lesson one, number one. Faith is one of the few words that the Bible defines for us. What is faith? So let's look at that scripture again. First of all, now faith is. It is a now faith. I love that, the way this is worded. It is a current faith. Faith is actually the currency of the kingdom. It is something that is active. It is something that you can activate and have in your own life and even grow and expand faith for things. I have faith for my dad coming to know Jesus Christ. I have faith for friends of mine who are in situations that need out of those situations. I have faith for them. And I often tell people, if you don't have enough, you can borrow some of mine. Let's do this together. We're better together. Amen? We mix our faith. We're two on earth agree as touching anything. He says, I'll do it. I'll be in your midst and I'll do it. So let's get together and believe God for something. Amen? Amen. I did a faith project one time because I, mean, I was hungry. I was learning. And somebody was said, you know, talking about moving mountains, mountain moving faith. Anybody have mountains? I said earlier. And you go, yeah, absolutely. And they said, take a piece of paper and draw a mountain and name that mountain and put it in your prayer closet on the wall. And every day you walk into your prayer closet and you speak to that mountain. That's pretty literal, isn't it? I thought, that's brilliant. So we move into our new place out on 87, and, and we have this, this big square. We usually always have these long gallery-type uh, closets, master closets. This one's square, like a little room. I told the dance, this is like a perfect war room. I said, do you mind if I put some stuff up in here? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I'm going to put some things that are going to remind us about what we're believing for and, and prayer projects and faith projects and, and things about the bridge and journey fellowship that's about to make the same journey we are. And Alamo, I want to pray. I want things before my eyes because I'm a visual, so it helps me to see things. And so she said, yeah, go ahead. And I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to put things because we have this area all the way around. And I want to get my eyes on things that I'm believing for and praying for. So I took that guy up. I think I saw it on TV, some you know, TBN or something. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray for my mountain that it'll move. And I actually took that and drew. I didn't do a big one, but I had a, like a legal pad. And I drew a mountain, and I put the name on what that mountain was. And I put it in my, clear, my prayer area, my house with a closet back then. It was just my little office. And I put it up on the wall, and every day I spoke to that mountain. And I declared, you know what that did? I don't know if, I don't even remember if the mountain moved. I think I probably got, got over it, but I moved. I grew. I got stronger. 
It's like lifting weights. The more resistance you have, the stronger you get. That's the whole principle of it. And so I grew from it. I don't even remember what it was, but I know it impacted me. So faith is one of the few words the Bible defines. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Anybody remember what the word hoped? I've defined it a hundred times here. Somebody tell me what hope means. There you go. And I love one of the translations, not translation, but uh, I think Strong's concordance says confident and joyful. I like that. It adds joyful in there. So it's confident and joyful expectation of a desired good. Now, doesn't that make hope a little more energized? That's like turbocharging it, right? It goes from just wishing to expectation. I expect. And you approach God with expectation. He'll meet you there. He'll meet you right there. And so, now faith is the substance of things expected joyfully and confidently. And it's the evidence or proof of things not seen. Your faith is evidence of what can't be seen. You go into a doctor and you get a diagnosis and you say, no disrespect, sir, but I don't receive that. You ever been in that situation? You may think not, but I'm telling you, you get that diagnosis, you may go there. You may just go there. And I hope you do. I hope you stand because there are things we have to fight and contend for on this earth. Amen? Amen. The kingdom of God will not be, be pushed back, but we, are, we play a role in advancing it. And I'm telling you, I have no shame about standing in front of a doctor and saying, I appreciate you, appreciate your skills, but I don't receive that diagnosis. The Bible says this in, in, uh, when Joshua and Caleb came back, and they brought a report, but the other spies brought a bad report of the promised land. And uh, they were saying, oh, yeah, it's beautiful, and the grapes are huge, and all that, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's some giants in that land. And I remember the, the word, it says, whose report will you believe? And the response was, we will, be, we will believe the report of the Lord. So the question is, will you believe the report of the Lord, or are you going to believe the report of culture? The report of the mirror. The report of somebody who spoke into your life negative and damaging and critical words. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God says about you and what God says about situations? We're going to talk a little bit about mountain moving faith and what the metaphor for a mountain was when Jesus talked to his disciples. Do you know he's not talking about a literal mountain? He's talking about something specific. Now, I'll, I'll break that down for you in just a minute. So, number two, if you're going... How does faith come to us? Romans 10, 17. So then, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? Word the Word of God. Be careful. Don't just make that one-dimensional. Don't make it, don't be so myopic that we think, then that's just the Bible. It's actually the message of Christ, which is the gospel. For example, some of us in here heard the gospel presented and preached, and before you heard that, you didn't have faith. But when you heard it, something rose up on the inside of you. You know what that is? That's faith that comes by hearing and hearing the gospel. That's exactly what this is referring to. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of Christ. Some translations even translate it that way. The message of Christ. So be careful that you don't just make this a one-size-fits-all for the Bible. We want to have biblical integrity, do we not? We want, to be, have, we want to be good students of the Bible. And not just leaning on what someone taught us, whether, whether it's accurate or not, but it still gives us warm fuzzies. We've got to be careful about that. There's a lot of things that are nostalgic that I've been taught that aren't true. 
And, and call me a mythbuster if you will, but I want, I want to know what the Bible says. That's why I love digging into the original language. That's why I like breaking things down and pulling things apart because I want to know what God really said. And when I learn that, the Bible comes alive. And my heart as a teacher is to bring that to all of us so that we become a people that are of the word, of the book, not based on nostalgia and warm fuzzies from 30 years ago, but I'm talking about that which gives you life today. Does that make sense? That's why we want this word to come alive. So faith comes by hearing. I love that. When you hear the message of Christ, faith comes. You want to expand your capacity to believe? Listen to the message of Christ. Immerse yourself. I used to jokingly say, I read the red and I pray for the power. Amen. Read the red and pray for Stay in the Gospels. If you don't know where to go, go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read the red and believe God for the power. So that, people say, I want to read the Bible. I go, go to, go to the Gospels. You want a short version? Go to Mark. You want the Sports Center version? Go to Mark. You want details? You high, you want high C on the disc profile? Go to Luke. He breaks it all down. Good balance is Matthew. You want somebody who just make you feel good and just love, love, love? Go to John. Remember, he was the one who Jesus loved. He always called himself that. So the Bible, each of those present different ways, different, but they're all the good news of Jesus Christ. They're all the gospel. And, uh, and I love them all because I love the nuances that each of them bring and the parallels that they have. And so I want to encourage you. Faith comes by hearing. You need to hear. Get your Bible out. And boy, I love the YouVersion Bible because you can put it on in the morning when you're getting ready. In the bathroom, turn it up. The shower's on. And I got the Gospel of John being read to me or the, or the Gospel of Mark. And I'm hearing the Word. You know what it does for me? It expands my faith for the day. So I walk out of the shower and out of the house ready to, you know, charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. Amen? No fear. So, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If faith comes by hearing, then it needs to be heard, right? I know that sounds basic. We were having this little conversation about words and speaking, praying out loud or praying in your heart. And the, and the answer is yes, do both. But what brings faith is that which you hear. There's something about it coming into your, into your ears that causes you to process. I think it's the gift of our sanctified imagination. The word imagination, the basis of it is image. We image things in our mind. It's imagination. We see things. And I think when we hear the word, it activates our imagination, but it activates our sanctified imagination. Does that make sense? So you're thinking about it. You're processing it, but you're processing it under the anointing or under the grace of the Holy Spirit of God. And remember, he's our teacher who leads us and guides us into all truth, according to John. So as we do that, we're processing it, and what happens? Faith comes. So when I heard the gospel the first time, remember I, I told y'all that uh, I heard it a couple times. One was through a chalk talk where uh, Steve, Pastor Steve McMeans drew, drew a cliff, a chasm, a cliff, and then the bridge, remember the day I introduced the name of the church? The bridge was the cross of Jesus Christ, and we go across that bridge to get to God. We connect through the cross. That made sense to me. So faith came. Another time, uh, Jimmy Stringer, who was a band director, 
who was so patient with all of us boys. Man, I mean, we'd say boys. I mean, it was so, we were just ruthless almost. But he was so patient and so gracious. We only made him lose his temper one time and he repented to us for it. I mean, that sets a man's walking with Jesus, right? And so he sat down with me and shared the gospel, a simple gospel presentation on one of those yellow dog school buses. Remember those? This is before they had air conditioners. I mean, he would just roll the windows down, breathe carbon monoxide all the way, and then, you know, hopefully you'll be alive when you get to your destination. And he sat down and he shared the gospel with me. And when he did, faith rose up. Every time I heard the gospel, faith came. Till finally, one day, it culminated in me stepping over the line and going all in with Jesus because enough faith came that I was ready. And it became, for me, a saving faith. Saving faith. Not just faith to believe, but faith to be saved. And so in that moment, I was born again, leaning over the hood of my truck, out in the country, post-Texas, between Post and Tohoka. And it, it was just, it changed my life. And I remember it to this day as though it was yesterday. That's how clear it is to me. Why? Because faith came by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Number three, if you're following along, how does faith express itself? Galatians 5. I love this. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to shift gears in the fall. We're going to land the plane here at the end of the summer on this study. We're going to take another step and we're going to bring Bill Loveless. Everybody remember Uncle Bill? I had lunch with him on, uh, on uh, Monday. We're going to bring Bill in and he's going to kick off our study for the fall and it's the, it's the love walk. It's, it's, it's love. What does love mean? We think we know. We really don't. We think we do. But we really don't. And so he's going to begin that. And we're going to take that through the fall. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. You know, either Jew or Gentile. He says, it doesn't matter. You think that it's by, by cutting off your flesh, so to speak, because it's what it means, you're, that, just, that that somehow makes you better. He says, it avails nothing but faith. Here's what avails something. Faith working through what? Through love. You know, things of virtues like love, joy, peace. Talk about underrated. For whatever reason, they don't make the cover of Christian magazines, but they should be. Amen? We have a culture that's celebrating love, but it's not Christian love. It's not agape love. It's a different kind of love, which means I accept everything you are. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But we're, we're a little bit different on this where we accept everybody, but we don't affirm everybody. Does that make sense? We don't affirm. I won't affirm you making destructive decisions about your life because I love you too much. And real love will speak the truth in love because if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You can't always be their buddy, right? You can't always be their playmate and their pal. There are times when you've got to be a parent. And because you love them so much, you have to say things that you know they're not going to like. Amen? Amen. But we do it because we love them. And we want to help them. We want to correct them. But what's happened in our culture if, if I don't completely affirm and agree with you, then I somehow now hate you. It, it, we've just made a leap from dislike to hate. And now it's created this terrible chasm where if I don't affirm everything you're about, then I must hate you. And that is not as far from the truth as anything. Sometimes I don't affirm what your decisions because they're destructive for your life. I accept you, but I don't affirm or agree with your behavior. I'm pointing you not because you're doing something. I'm just example. So don't, don't start feeling like the heat's on you. Nothing there. Nothing prophetic there. So um, 
So anyway, that's the thing is we love, we love, we love. Jerry, you had something? Love is so vast. The Greeks had to come up with seven different words to describe different types, like differentiate between a 10-year-old and a new puppy. <laughs> Yeah, it's phileo, eros. There's there's several, and we'll 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 unpack some of those in the fall. But that's true. It's so nuanced that uh, sometimes it's hard to wrap our own minds around, right? But the agape love is the God kind of love, and here's the beauty about agape: two things. One, you can't do it. The beauty of it is that Christ in you can, Christ in and through you, the hope of glory. Remember that. For you've been crucified with Christ, you no longer live, but Christ lives in and through. Christ himself can love through you. you when I was driving down Bear Valley Road in Southern California to our church, I, I, was, gonna, I was in a tough situation there, and, and I, I just had to, it was hard sometimes walking into that building on Sunday morning because of the battles we were fighting. And I remember every time I'd drive that 10 miles down Bear Valley Road in high desert, Southern California, and I would pray the whole way. I'd say, Father, Jesus, would you love people through me? Would you love people through me? When I walk into that building, I know I am not capable because I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm offended. So I need you to love through me. I didn't even know I was already walking in these principles of Christ in you. The Christ life. And sure enough, he would. And I would walk out of that building going, that was amazing how God did that. But what it was, it was actually the gospel, the good news working itself out in me. And I was capable because of Christ loving people. I was capable of, uh, it made me able to kind of coast on his, I was just riding his shirt tails into that thing. It was beautiful. Following Jesus as he went. So look at what it says. For in Christ neither circumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Faith and love go hand in hand. That's the beauty of it. So next one. Number six. Who are we to put our faith in? Galatians 2.16. Look at this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That's that old covenant where they had over 600 laws that they said, if you can do these 600 plus laws, then you will be righteous before God. And the Pharisees were like, we're really the only ones who got this together. The Pharisees thought they were the only ones who had that all together, but they had over 600 laws, and they were nuanced, and they were, who can remember 600 laws? So look at this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? By faith. Jesus, you talk about flipping everything. Jesus came and undid hundreds of years of oppression and, and religious bondage and slavery by talking about this. By faith in Jesus Christ, even when we had have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by what? Faith in Christ and not the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Did you hear that? In other words, we can't work to please him. We can't perform to get his favor. That sounds so backwards from what we're used to because of the way we're raised, we're a Puritan work ethic. But it's beautiful to know that I don't have to do anything and he still loves me. 
The beauty of it is, is because of that, I want to serve. I want to share my faith. Why? Because I love him. He, now, everything gets motivated by love. I want to give. I want to sow. Tithes, man. Tithes a long time ago. Man, who, who wants us to give 10%? I give my life. Jesus, what do you want us to sow? What do you want us to give? Tithe. Get rid of your calculator and get hold of Jesus. He'll tell you what to give, and you go with that. 2%, 10%, 50%, whatever he says, you follow Jesus. You don't follow a law, a rule. Isn't that funny how we try to drag that over from the Old Covenant into the New Testament and somehow make it a, a law for Christians? Man, I'll get started on that. I'll rip and roar on that. Bottom line is, is he wants you. And when he's got you, resources, time, talents, Heart, life is all his. And I, that's what I'm giving. I'm bringing it all. You know what's so amazing about that? When you give it all to him, he gives it back to you in spades. It just comes back overflowing, pressed down, shaken together, just overflowing. He pours out life. And you know what? All the stuff doesn't matter anymore. Oh, it's amazing. It's a beautiful walk we have. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. After the resurrection, this is the next slide. This is in your book. After the resurrection, Thomas, one of the disciples, refused to believe Jesus was alive unless he saw it for himself. You remember that? Poor Thomas. He gets such a bad rap over this. If I was there, I probably would have been Thomas. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, let me touch. Let me see that. He says this, he stubbornly told the other disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Only when Jesus finally appeared did Thomas believe. Number seven, if you're following along, lesson one, after Thomas finally believed, who did Jesus say would be blessed? John 20, 29. John 20, 29 says this, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now, here's the good news. He didn't rebuke Thomas. He loved these guys. He walked with them for years. He loved them. He wasn't there to spank Thomas in this moment, but he leveraged the moment as an opportunity, a teachable moment. Look what he says. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, this idea of stepping into something by faith and believing even though you don't see it. You ever prayed for something and you just, in your mind, just said, I believe God's going to take care of this. And when people ask you about it, you say, it's done. God's got it. I know you have. We talked about your eyesight back in, when we were having those conversations. We sold a house in Southern California in a depressed economy. When we were told that in the high desert where we were, that houses would sit, we were getting ready to move back to Texas and plant a church. And our church in Southern California was sending us out. But we were getting all these negative words from staff, from our pastor's wives saying, houses sit on the market for years here in the high desert. We're like, not ours. And so we were at, listen to this, we were at a conference and a man turned around, 20,000 people at Anaheim Stadium, and a guy turns around and he goes, what do you want me to pray for you for? I mean, this is random, right? And we said, well, actually, we were putting our house on the market and we needed to sell now. And he said, oh, God can handle that. 
he grabbed our hands and prayed for us. And then he said this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the four corners of your property. And I want you to anoint the four corners with oil. He said, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, do it. So what did we do? We went home. I found some Crisco oil. I said, Lord, I don't know if this is the right stuff or not, but bless it. So what do I know? So we went to four corners. Do you really think the oil matters? We went to four corners, and I, I put that stuff on all four corners of our property, and we began to believe and pray. Whatever it was, that man somehow inspired faith in us to believe that God was going to do a miracle. I was going to preach like two weeks before we left, three weeks before we left. So I get up, and it's a good-sized church, and I, I'm the youth pastor, and I preach, and I tell the church... Our house is going to sell in 30 days. And that's like going, oh my gosh, he just said that out loud. We were praying it, but I just said it because I'm a guy and I just say stuff. And I said it in faith and everybody cheered. And I remember one of the pastor's wives come to me, honey, houses don't sell here in the high desert. I said, ours is, you watch, 30 days. And that was like, oh boy. So I was pretty rowdy back then. I'm still rowdy, but I was really rowdy then. I was like, oh, God can do it. I believe. I believe. I'm a believing believer. Amen? Amen. So things started happening. Guess what? The house sold in 23 days in the high desert. People were blown away. They were shocked. And I had the pleasure of going back to that pastor's wife and saying, guess what? Our house is sold. We closed on it. I mean, you're just blown away. I didn't do it to put it in her face. I mean, I just I wanted her to be encouraged too. But we got to we get to step out on a faith project. And to this day, when people come to me and say my house isn't selling, I guess what I tell them? I know it's going to sound crazy. <laughs> but go anoint the four corners. I just I hey, if it works, it worked. It worked for us. And we've done that many times. And all of our houses sell like this, by the way. Sold ours in the first phone call recently. Would that man that came to you and spoke that, wouldn't that be a word of wisdom? I believe so. He was operating in the Holy Spirit. He had the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he shared with us a word of wisdom, which is in that gift list. And so he had something to deliver us. And I believe that was totally love because he just turned around. We didn't know this guy. I mean, thousands of people at this conference, he just turned around. What can I pray for you for? And when we told him, I mean, it was like confidence. I think it was his confidence that just caught us. And we're like, if he believes it, then I'm going to believe it too. His confidence, his faith, his expectation, his joyful and confident expectation, what did it do? It rose up that in us. So we, we took his faith and stepped out, and God did it. It was amazing. So the last house we sold in Fredericksburg, first person that made the phone call bought it. First one. Out of the, and you know what? That's happened every time for us. Almost every time. Every, just about asking that. She's got the details. But. Not only from that, but, but to turn it around, flip it from his perspective, do you think he even knows the outcome of what happened? How? We do that. We engage people all the time, and we, we don't know how the story works out. Look what a profound difference he made in your life. Oh, and you know that you're right. That guy doesn't know that this little young couple who's getting ready to move back to Texas and plant a church, that, that he spoke a word of life that so inspired us that it brought faith to us. Yeah, and you know, someday he'll know somehow, some way, right? We'll absolutely. Absolutely. That's the power of belief, Max. Well, that's what faith is. It's a, it's a, 
of the verb, continual present tense action. Yes. Action to what it says, like the four corners, that was your action. Yep. The rest is the Lord. And, and you know what? That's a, you bring up a great point, Max. Notice on Sunday morning, the last couple, I've asked people to stand up and stretch their hands out. That sounds silly. Or when we prayed for Kate and Austin, I said, stretch your hands toward them. Some people feel awkward about that, but I don't really care. Because here's the deal. That's an act of faith. You're putting action to something. You're doing it, and it's an, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. You're trying to... For example, when, as a Baptist, when, when there would be an altar call, I thought it was important to go down to the front, not as a formula, but as an act of my own faith. So when I stepped out of that back aisle at Flint Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, when I was a kid... I was doing it as an act of faith, and I didn't care what anybody thought. I literally was like, I want Jesus. So here I'm, this little kid, walking down that center aisle. All eyes are on me. You think I cared? I wanted Jesus. I could care less who's looking at me. Let me tell you, when the Lord draws you, 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 just, you, don't, you can't stop that. And I get concerned when people are reticent to go forward with their faith, reticent to act. And I like the word activate. And really part of what tonight, the goal of this is, is to activate you. I want to activate your faith. I want to raise up a new level of faith in your own life to believe God. I keep talking about the harvest vision and, and about half the church is yawning and the other half's ready to bite the end of a crowbar off. It's like, so we've got, we've got this mixture in our church. Well, what's the difference? It could be the background of some people who've seen God move and understand what revival looks like, understand what, how fun it is to baptize five people. It's so awesome. You and your kids. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that we live for, Sabrina. That's what we live for. So, so, you know, there's a mixture here. Now, let's keep moving because I don't want to get too bogged down. Listen to this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Number 8, what should we do when our senses contradict our faith? And trust me, it's not faith unless your senses are contradicting. I'm just saying. Uh, somebody, we were I was talking to Austin about them raising funds. When we first started this conversation, he was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I said, God's going to do it. You're going to step out, and God's going to meet you at that point of faith. Kate thought I'd lost my ever-loving mind. Pastor Jim, he's just pushing us out of the church. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm pushing you out into faith. I'm pushing you to a point where you have to believe God. God wants this for you. He wants to stretch you. Welcome to Christianity 101. He wants to stretch you. And they stepped out, and I'm telling you, God showed up. Showed up through many of you. He showed up through this church. He showed up from other churches. And they're going, literally, they are 99% fully funded. Even as of Sunday, more people jumped on. And they are, they are fully funded right now. I mean, they're going fully funded. They're like 1% off. and 1%, come on. God probably fixed that before they leave, right? So all that's happening. What it did, it stretched them. And they begin to believe God. And God met them. And I'm telling you, it's blown their minds. I, I love talking to, I talked to Austin today about it. God is working. God is moving. Look, what should we do when our senses contradict our faith? So here's what I told, told I said, yeah, it's really fun preaching faith, but it's really difficult when we have to live it. <laughs> it's fun preaching, but man, when you're the one who's got to step out, that's when it gets real. That's when the rubber meets the road theologically. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by, we live by is what that means. 
We live by faith, not by what our eyes see. A lot of times in my prayer time, depending on what I'm dealing with in a situation, I'll pray something similar to this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare I am not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel, by my emotions. I'm not moved by the circumstance that's in front of me. I am only moved by your word. And your word says, and I begin to declare what the word of God says and applying it to that situation. That's how you work the word. Remember we say we want to, the word works, but we have to learn how to work the word. Does that make sense? And take the Bible and use it as the sword of the Spirit, which it is. By the way, that's, a, that's an offensive, not defensive weapon in the whole armor of God. You got a helmet, a breastplate, a belt, you got feet. You got a shield of faith, but you have a weapon called the Word of God. Amen? The Bible also defines itself as a hammer. Mm. There you go. A breaker that breaks walls. And also a living bread by which we survive. It's awesome. Isn't that beautiful? That's the Word of God. That's the Word of God. And that is available to us in a thousand translations. And you can turn it on and listen. Listen, let it play. It's so available to us. God has been good to us to even give us technology where we can have the Word going in, in our lives. I want to encourage you to get deeper in and dive in. Number two, lesson two, saving faith. What did Paul tell the Romans they needed to do to be saved? Romans 10, 8. Listen to this. This is Paul speaking. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, which we preach. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Did you catch that? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. So the mouth speaks, the heart believes that God is raised from the dead. You will be what? Saved. saved. Isn't that awesome? This is saving faith. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. That's the ability to stand before God. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That is where, this is one of the scriptures that really God spoke to me about the power of words. That I got born again when I prayed and declared Jesus is the Lord of my life. I submitted my heart to him. I believed in my heart. I spoke with my mouth and confessed the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you know what? My life changed for eternity because of that statement. I believe that. But I believe this applies in other areas too. Not just getting saved. It applies to being filled with the Holy Spirit. It applies to spiritual gifts. It applies to what are you dealing with and what do you need faith for? Because some of us have some mountains in our path. I'm going to keep moving quickly. I want to get to a couple things. What did, this is a lesson two. What did Paul, number one, what did Paul and Silas tell the jailer he had to do to be saved? Remember that story in Acts 16? And he brought them out and said, and this is the jailer, he says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Remember, there's two levels going on here. First of all, he thought he was going to get killed because a, a soldier who, uh, who allowed prisoners to escape would either have to kill himself by falling on a sword or he would be killed. So he was talking about, how can I actually live? And look what happens. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So he comes at them thinking, how can my life be preserved? They say, we got something better than life. We've got your eternity. This is better than just this. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole household will be saved. And he meant on both levels, spiritually 
and literally. And so we see, we know the story how it goes there. Number 11, I'm, I'm skipping through this. How are we saved? Ephesians 2.8, we've talked about this a lot. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? It's a gift. What do you have to do with a gift? To take it, right? You, get, you take it and you spend the rest of your life saying thanks. You receive the gift. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, it's not, I don't work for this thing. I just receive the gift and I spend the rest of my life saying thank you and Lord, I love you so much. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leak Jesus everywhere I go. That's, I love you so much. I'm so thankful. Moving on, number 12. Who has the right to become children of God? Love this scripture in, first, in John 1. But as many as what? Received. Here we go again. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the ability, the enablement to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Are you starting to see something about faith and belief here? They're pretty critical to this whole thing. In fact, they're extremely critical. Number, uh, next one, faith is more, this is a slide, faith is more than a one-time mental acknowledgement of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. This is important. Because a lot of times people think, I just, I'm, I stepped over the line, I got baptized, I'm good to go, got my fire insurance policy, I'm going to heaven, right? I'm not going to go to hell. Like that sign out on 87 says. It, I don't know if y'all have seen that sign, but anyway, it's this big billboard. Anyway, I'm not going to go off on that. So, you know, you got your fire insurance policy, you're going to heaven, not hell. No, no, no. God wants those who have been saved to continue to live by faith. This is what you were saying earlier. It's an ongoing thing. It continues. It's punctiliar in, in if you're using the Greek, which, which means literally it's, 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 a, it's something that happens in a period of time and then goes on for eternity. That's what punctiliar is. It happens and then it's on for the rest of eternity. Right now, we're walking with Jesus for eternity, right? But it had to start somewhere. Where did it start? By receiving the gift. By receiving the gift. He says this, to continue to live by faith, that is, he wants our faith to lead to faithfulness. And there's some scripture there. Obedience does not lead to salvation. Remember, we're not earning this. We can't earn this. But the Bible does teach that salvation, putting our faith in Jesus, leads to obedience. Do you agree with that statement? I don't obey because I'm afraid of him. I obey him because I love him. I obey because I get to. And I, I say it this way. It's horrible grammar, but I can get away with it because I'm from West Texas. We get rid of the got-tos and we grab hold of the get-tos. I don't got to do anything. I get to. I don't got to share my faith. I get to share my faith. I don't got to preach the word. I get to preach the word. I don't got to read the Bible. I get to read. See what I'm saying? You get rid of the got-tos and you get a hold of the get-tos and now this thing becomes joyful life-giving. It's like, I can't wait. I don't sleep well past five in the morning because I am so excited about getting up. My favorite time of the day is from five o'clock until about 7.30, depending on what time I come in. I, I stretch it as long as possible because that is my time with Jesus. That's my morning time. And I, I, I live for that. And there are times, literally, I'll wake up at 3.30 or 4 and I'm like, oh, it's only 3.30 because I'm so excited about getting up. Because God meets me. I have a standing appointment every day with him. Standing appointment. He meets me there. 
And I can't wait. Why? Because I don't got to do that. Nobody told me to get up early. I get to. I want to. Does that make sense? The disciples, this is number one in lesson four, Mountain Moving Faith. And we'll land with this. Just a little section here. This is so important. This is going to help somebody. The disciples once failed to cast a demon, cast out a demon, and asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? What was the reason they couldn't drive it out? Matthew 17. So Jesus says to, to them, because of your unbelief, uh-oh, because you didn't believe. They were unbelieving believers. They were, they were called followers of the way. They were the ones who were his disciples. And yet, he says, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And he was actually pointing to a mountain. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Mountain moving faith. The, the mountain, it's a metaphor for the impossible. That's all that is. He wasn't talking about this literal mountain that they could cast this mountain into sea. He's talking about a figurative mountain because they understood that meant the impossible. And Jesus said, I came here to show you that the impossible is possible. That is why Jesus came. You know, it's funny because we'll agree with that in Bible times like somehow it was different then. But listen, that goes for today. And I think if we took testimonies, we would hear testimonies from various people sitting right in here who would say, oh, I've seen God do the impossible. I've seen God make a way where there was no way. I've seen God create a straight road in the desert, in the wilderness. I've seen God move. And we sing that song, I've seen you move, you move the mountain, and I believe you can do it again. When we sing that, I'm going ape nuts over there because that, those words are a declaration of faith. I've seen God move. I've seen revival. I've touched it. I know what, I know what it means to get up at 2.30, 3.34 because you can't wait to be with God because revival is happening and you're on an adventure. I know what that feels like. And you know what? I'm going to see it in my lifetime again right here. It's called the Harvest Vision. And I believe it. I believe the Lord, the Holy Spirit gave Max Lucido, Lucado a word, a prophetic word to say, get ready for harvest. And I'm taking him literally on that. And I believe we're going to see it. I believe. I don't think, I don't hope, I don't wish. I expect joyful and confident expectation. I believe. And so that's driving me and everything. And the reason I know it is because I've already been a part of one. I already know what it looks like. Been there, done that, and I can't wait till it happens again. It's going to. So he says this. It will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So, number two, the same chapter. Uh, chapter 9, lesson 4. Even if we have small faith in a big God, what can we do? Look at this. Jesus said, same verse. Because of your unbelief, he says this. If you have the faith of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? They're tiny. They're tiny. At vacation Bible school, they gave us a mustard seed. We're like, where is it? We couldn't hardly find it. There are little bitty tiny seeds. And yet, he says, if you have that, you can move that mountain. Just that much faith is all it takes. All God needs for you is to lean in. I always go back to James 4, 8, because that's become a real strong scripture. Draw near to God, and he will what? What's he saying? Initiate some movement, and he'll meet you there. And that's exactly what happened with Kate and uh, Austin on this, on this getting ready to go to Lisbon. 
I mean, miracle after miracle have happened. Even their house that they're getting. I mean, it's amazing what God has done. But it's because they stepped out. Even if I had to push them a little bit. They stepped out of the boat. He kind of got to the end of the plank. And I said, here you go. <laughs> go for it. You can do this. And when he did, the ground was solid. He didn't fall in water. He, found, he stepped on a bridge. And God has answered it all the way. We're seeing miracles because of that. Mountain-moving faith comes from a mustard seed. No, uh, slide number 23, chapter 9, lesson 4. There are two truths about God that serve as foundations for our faith. Abraham, the father of our faith, this is in Romans 4, understood these faith foundations. To be men and women of faith. Do we want to be men and women of faith here? I do. I, I do. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. I'm, I've seen it. And I'm going to see it again. Listen to this. He says, to be men and women of faith, we must hold tightly to these two truths about God. Number one, God is powerful. He is all-powerful. Do you believe that? Yes. That means God is able. Yes. And God is faithful. You know what that means? God is willing. Here's the deal. A lot of Christians will acknowledge that God's able, but we're not so quick to acknowledge that he's willing. This means we've got to come back to the revealed will of God. In other words, the mountains that I'm trying to move aren't just something I made up in my mind. Oh, I want this new this, or I want this. that. That is not a mountain I'm trying to move. The kind of mountain I'm trying to move is revival for Fredericksburg and the surrounding area. That's a mountain I'm moving. Do I believe it's God's will for revival and spiritual awakening in the land? Absolutely. So why wouldn't I go after that as a mountain? Because it's a revealed will of God. And because it's a revealed will of God and it's the word of God, then I can go with it with everything I have because I know not only is he able, he's willing. All he's looking for is somebody to believe. He's looking for believing believers who aren't afraid to cast caution to the wind and say, we believe, Father. We trust you. We believe it is your will to bring revival and spiritual awakening. That you want to charge and energize the church. You want the, the water level to rise in every church in our city and beyond. You believe that? Yes. Come on. Sometimes you got to believe it by faith. you got to lean in and go, my mind, my flesh may not, but let me tell you, I believe that's God's will. And if it's God's will, then you can stand on that and go after it. Write that on your mountain. I dare you to do that. I double dog, I triple dog dare you to get a piece of paper and draw some mountains and start naming those mountains. But stay with the revealed will of God. I'm not talking about your stuff. I'm talking about what is God revealing through his scripture that he wants moved. And that's what we get behind. Do you think that God is willing that all, do you think God wants people to be born again? Yes. Do you think that it's his will that none should perish? That's the scripture. That's the Bible. Then that means we can pray with passion and belief and we can be like the widow who beats on that door and doesn't stop. Because Jesus said, pray like this. She beat on that door until the door opened. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It will, it will, it will. That's the scripture. That's the revealed will of God. So in your situation, you have to find in your situation that you're praying for, what is God's revealed will that I can, that I can have that's a template over the situation? That's where you go to the scripture. You go to the word. You say, Lord, is there anything in the Bible that's similar to what I'm going through? Guess what? It probably is. 
There may be dozens of them. But you find that, and then you find the revealed will of God in that. And then you go after that mountain. Amen? And you even declare, Lord, I maybe just have a mustard seed, but you said that's all I need. Or maybe you're like the centurion. You say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't rebuke him for that. His son was healed that very hour, right? So, we go after the revealed will. Not only is God able, God is willing. Now, here's the way I pray that. I even, I've said that so many times. Say, Lord, I know you're able. I know you're able. Lord, I also believe you're willing because this is your revealed will. I see it in the scripture. I see it in the word. And I stand on the word. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by fear. I'm moved by faith. I'm moved by the word of God. Does that make sense? Last couple. Some people, this is number four, some people ignore or deny the facts in a vain attempt to move in faith. And they're just like, okay, if I just shut everything out. But what did Abraham do in regard to the physical facts? Romans 4, 19. Look at this. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. This is reference to him being promised that he would have a child, right? Abram and Sarai, they were promised they would have a child. Well, now they're getting up towards 100 years of age, and they're going, well, you know, it's not looking good for us right now. But look what happens. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Next verse, verse 20 and 21. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. There you go. He did not waver. He was not moved through unbelief because he stood on the promise of God. Do you think there's some promises in this Bible we can stand on? Hey, listen, if you can't figure out something for your own situation, let's just find some promises and stand on those because it's amazing when your focus gets on the kingdom of God, some of your stuff will evaporate. Did that make sense? It's amazing when you get priority A1, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well, Matthew 6.33 tells us. In other words, all these things will find right order when you get the first thing first. And we're to seek the kingdom of God first. And then let all these other things find their place. He did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in what? Faith. There it is again, in belief, giving glory to God and being fully convinced. Did you get that? Fully convinced. Fully convinced. Man, there are times when you've got to gird your loins up and go after it. You've got to be fully convinced and say, I believe this word. I'm going to stand on this word. Whether it looks Real or not, I'm going to stand on this word. Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. He was fully convinced that what God said was true. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. It gave him right standing before God. Who should we have faith in? So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Do you know the Phillips translation actually takes that word, that little uh, participle there in, and translates it, have the faith of God. Have faith in God and have the faith of God. Why? Because faith comes from where? 
It says to each one has been given the measure of faith. He's the one who gives us the faith. It comes from him in the first place. The Bible even calls it a gift of faith. The measure of faith, the gift of faith, and then faith that can be expanded. It's amazing what tools we have in our toolbox. But we have to get in there and work them. Amen? It's no good to have the right tool if you're not using it, right? I mean, why would you use a, a, you know, a standard common screwdriver on an, on an Allen screw? But some of us have tried it. I'm not going to lie. If I can make it fit, you know, I don't have time to walk out in the garage and find the right Allen wrench. I think I can make this work, and I knurl that thing up. Use the right tool for the right thing. And he's given us these tools. It's amazing. Last thing. Verse 11, what must we do if we want our mountain to be thrown into the sea? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, says this, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, notice this, whoever speaks. Who speaks to the mountain? Jesus spoke to the wind and the sea was calm. Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. God spoke and it was. God spoke this thing into it. There's something about the power of words. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt or have unbelief in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray... Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, here's the deal. When I pray, I often thank God ahead of time in advance. And I'll even say it this way. Father, I thank you that according to your word, this is your will. And I thank you, depending on the situation, if I know it's the revealed will of God, I'll go after that and I'll say, I thank you that it's already done. I thank you that it's already happened. It's already, things are already in motion and I give you praise and thanks in advance. Thank you, God, that you're faithful to your word. You watch over it to perform it. It'll perform the very purpose for which it was sent. I don't have to worry about that. So I trust you in it. Now, all that sounds bold and audacious. It's not. It's just faith. It's Bible faith. It's not arrogance either. It's agreement with the word of God. You're lining yourself up. So there's no arrogance in it, but there is confidence in it. And the confidence is in the Word of God and the God of the Word. Does that make sense? So our confidence is in the right thing. It's in Him and in the, His Word and in His revealed will. If this is His promise, then He's a promise maker and a promise keeper, right? And we get the privilege of walking with Him into those promises. Amen? Well, that was an introduction to faith. That's like 101. We could spend some time on that. But I'm telling you, when we become, as a people, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the whole a group of believing believers. I'm telling you, revival will not tarry. There was a book written many, many years ago. Why revival tarries? Well, it's not going to tarry. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we honor you and bless you. I'm asking for the gift of faith to be released over our church family. The gift of faith to be released. And Lord, as that gift is released, we will take that measure of faith and begin to walk in expansion and growth in it. I love you, Father. Thank you for your word. It is a lamp and a light. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. Love you. God bless you.